0: a warning to listeners. This episode contains explicit language and descriptions of sexual violence.
1: I'm Amy Britton, and this is Canary, an investigative podcast from The Washington Post.
0: Chapter 3. No way in hell she would make this up.
2: Watch this. You have to be tall, yep. and you have to be really strong. There
3: okay.
1: we
2: go. You, you ready, you. Freddy? Oh, me first. Oh, yeah. You th- you think my house is full of treasures? Just wait till you get up here.
3: Oh, God. Do
2: you want to hand me that thing? <laughs> yeah, please.
1: By this point, I had spent two days in Birmingham with Carol Griffin, trying to fully understand what she said Judge Truman Morrison had done to her. Okay. Oh, hey! Carol told me that decades ago, Truman mailed her an apology letter. I
2: kept everything.
1: For years, she said she kept this apology letter in a safe drawer right next to her bed. But before I came to town, when she checked the drawer, she said that she couldn't find it.
2: Every single one of these envelopes. And have you been through all these yet? Uh that's what I was telling you. It's just too much.
1: Now I climbed up a wobbly wooden ladder to get into Carol's attic. All in search of this missing letter. The letter that you're remembering from Truman, was it a handwritten letter or a typewritten letter? It was a
2: handwritten letter.
1: I didn't know the exact contents of this letter, but it seemed like an important piece of evidence that I needed to see.
2: It was very vague. It was like something, it just said something like, I'm sorry if I hurt you, and please let me know if there's anything I can do. Do you think the letter is so
1: important because you view it as like um, a confession of wrongdoing?
2: Yeah. It, I feel like, you know, you are coming back to me at this point, and I'm realizing all of a sudden that corroboration is an important thing. You know, that this is, I feel kind of helpless because it's just my memory.
1: Carol was one woman coming forward against one man. But a man with authority. A judge. A man trusted to decide the fates of other people. I knew that Carol might face some resistance in coming forward. It's common for victims to be questioned and for their motives to be interrogated and for people to doubt them. We've all seen this play out before when people make allegations of sexual assault.
3: This is what happens. People, you know, we talk about witch hunts or he talks about, that's Mm -hmm. a witch hunt.
0: I don't believe a word of anything in this documentary. In the 40-year-old
2: childhood memories of a wacky woman, I mean, there are individuals that will come forward with these outrageous allegations, And then and that, that hurts all women that are victims.: Yes.
1: Carol's claim of sexual assault happened decades ago. She didn't file a police report. She told me she hadn't told anyone until years later. That made it more difficult for me as a reporter to try to corroborate her account. But I wanted to try to get as close to the heart of the truth as I could. I can't go back to 1976. But I could try to find the people who were there, people who might have seen something, people who might have heard something. Those would be first-hand accounts, the gold standard of corroboration. There's also documentation, like photos, journals, or the missing letter. And there are second-hand accounts, the people who were told about it. i check to see if the details are the same. If there are similar descriptions or similar timelines from multiple people, it tends to add weight to the account. Contradictory accounts are red flags. And of course, I look for anything that sheds light on a person's credibility or honesty. So I told Carol that it was time to expand this reporting. I drove all around Birmingham trying to talk to the people who were closest to Carol. People who she may have said something to about this. People who she may have confided in. This took me to a library, even a church. People were actually willing to talk to me. People being so talkative isn't always the case. Sometimes people hang up the phone or slam the door in my face, or sometimes people will share information on the condition that their names aren't attached to it. But I had gotten on-the-record interviews with some key people in Carol's life. Carol talked extensively with these people about being the victim of a sexual assault. She told Matthew Lane, her ex-husband.
0: But it definitely came up over the course of of our years.
1: She told Felix Joffreon, her therapist.
0: She talked about how horrible it was and the horrible effect it's had on her and her life, and she wanted to be free. And all I said was, how can I support you in that?
1: She told Nell Ruby, her best friend from college. She told me that he had molested her she told isaac her son in
2: general terms
0: that it had been something that had happened to her
1: and she gave details she named judge truman morrison as the man who assaulted her
0: truman truman did this no idea who he was and had never met him but had a name what's the son of a bitch's name
1: well can you describe him in general what did she tell you about him uh,
0: basically she told me that he was a judge
1: She shared this information years ago.
0: This would have been like 96. I don't know exactly when I learned that Truman had been the one that had molested her. Maybe this all happened when I was like 10. She told me about the incident with Truman was after college.
1: And all of the people I talked to described how Carol had blamed herself.
0: She has felt this guilt and this burden and like it's her fault and like she shouldn't have... Been in that situation? Like, did she somehow bring this upon herself rather than being a victim?
1: They vouched for her credibility.
0: I mean, she she really seems to value honesty uh, pretty strictly. I've always known her to be truthful, and that's part of our relationship. And I've trusted her. I never had any reason to to doubt that. I mean, I didn't know him. There there was nothing to be gained by sharing, I mean, you know, these were really discussions between husband and wife that were not really for anyone else.
1: Matthew, Carol's ex-husband, is a librarian. And he was the one that spotted Judge Truman Morrison's name in my original article about Lauren Clark.
0: When I got to the point in the article uh, where they said the name of the judge who had given him this sentence, it struck home because it was... The same person that my ex-wife had talked to me about, who had molested her as a young woman.
1: And what was your, you know, your gut feeling when you saw his name?
0: Well, I, I mean, personally, I really struggled with whether to um, discuss it with her. You, that that you know, I know that it's something that has really haunted her, and over the course of our marriage, we had a lot of um, conversations about. We were in kind of a couple's uh, counseling together, and and that was a frequent um, topic.
1: I thought about the improbability of Carol even finding out about Lauren's case. For Matthew in Alabama to read through a nearly 6,000-word article about a woman in D.C., And for him to see the name of the judge involved in Lauren's case, to know the name, and to decide that the name was so important that he couldn't let it go. It all led to Carol reaching out to me.
0: Truman should be held accountable for it. You know, even if it is decades later, he damaged Another human being for a lifetime.
1: By now, I had talked to four people, four points of corroboration, and they were consistent about what Carol had told them that she had described sexual assault committed by Truman Morrison. But these accounts, they were secondhand. None of these people had even met Truman Morrison, and they weren't there on that trip to the Morrison family property. There were other important people I needed to talk to. One, of course, was Judge Morrison to get his response to Carol's allegation. And there were two people in Birmingham who I wanted to meet before I left town, two people who knew Truman well and who were on that trip to Virginia. And those people, they were Carol's parents, Janet and Jean Griffin. Carol told me that she eventually told her parents about what happened on the Morrison family property. I asked her when she had this conversation, and she said she thinks it happened in the early 90s.
2: I must have been in my mid 30s. The way that I told them was really, would be difficult, I think, for any parent to receive that information. You know, because I didn't do it in person because I was so afraid of them and their reaction. And I didn't want them to be too close. Carol said she was afraid to tell her parents because they were so close to Truman. So I ended up calling them on the phone, which I think was kind of, you know, it was the most I could do. I feel like I want to call it cowardly or something, but it was the most I could handle. But the way I told them was, oh, my God, I just, I yelled at them, you know, and I blamed my mom um it was pretty pretty raw and i remember at one point them saying you know we're we hear you and we want to hear you but you got to quit yelling at us and this is not tolerable what you're doing as far as and i was like how dare you i've been putting up with this for as long as i have it just came out like a volcano because I'd been I'd been sitting on it, so it seemed like there was just one thing left for me
1: to do in Birmingham. So I'm headed over to uh, Carol's parents' house right now, and I'm feeling a little bit anxious about how it's going to go. Um, her parents are elderly, and they've never talked about this incident publicly. And I think it's been very difficult for them to deal with the aftermath of uh, the abuse that happened to Carol. So I'm not sure if they're going to be willing to go on the record. My hope is that once I explain what the story is and why it's important to hear from them, that they would be willing to speak. So I'm, I'm just going to try to see how the situation unfolds this afternoon. It didn't go exactly as I had hoped. They said I couldn't quote them in this piece or use anything they said. I went straight back to Carolyn Shay's house to let them know. So when I left, I told your mom that I was going to check back with her in a couple of weeks. And I asked them earlier, before we wrapped up our conversation, I asked them to think about both scenarios. Number one, like, if they did do it, if they were quoted in the story and participate in the story what would happen what could they possibly be facing what would the reaction be and then also the flip scenario that some people don't consider but it's also equally important if they did not do it how would they feel Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. about not participating yeah um it also seems like your mom is concerned about the the party yes Yeah. yeah 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 which is interesting the party It was going to be a big celebration for the 60th wedding anniversary of Carol's parents. Lots of family and friends were going to be there. And now, I was digging into a deep and painful chapter of their family history. It seemed like a dark cloud kind of hanging over the celebration. Still, I was hopeful that they would change their minds and talk to me. I didn't view it as like a... uh door slam in the face, yeah. so sometimes you just have to take baby steps, Yeah. we'll
2: see mm-hmm. if yeah. decide. Yeah. So far,
1: you've only heard about the sexual assault that Carol said occurred on a Virginia property decades ago. But there is more to Carol's story than what happened that night. During our weekend together, she told me about a series of troubling sexual encounters with Judge Morrison that happened after the assault. She described it as a pattern of behavior that continued for years, even as he stayed close to the Griffins. Some of this material might be disturbing to listen to. Carol said that Truman became fixated on her. When she was in high school, still 16 years old, she says that he sought her out on trips to Birmingham. He sat me
2: down in a lawn chair and said, very quiet, I've been fantasizing about you. Carol says that he talked about this fantasy where he wanted to take her away. To a deserted island somewhere, running away together to a deserted island. And I remember feeling just uh, kind of horrified. And then several
1: years later, Carol and her family were invited to Truman's second wedding where she agreed to perform a song. Carol was 21 at the time and still in college. After Carol arrived, she said that she needed to go get her guitar. And she said that Truman walked with her. And when I went out to the car, I leaned over to get my guitar. And when she was reaching into her car, she said Truman suddenly grabbed her from
2: behind. I felt his hand come up the back of my dress and grab me by, the, by my vagina. And he put his hand there, but it was always the same way that he touched me, which was this kind of weird, desperate, almost frozen, it didn't he didn't move his hand, he just grabbed a hold of me, and then he would just like lean in (sighs) like that for it wouldn't last that long. It would just I just froze and it lasted for a few seconds and then then it would be over with.
1: So that, that you're flipping through right now a flipping through a spiral journal. Carol told me that she kept a diary for decades. And she went through it to see when she first wrote about these incidents.
2: Okay. 11 12 91. So November 12th 91. It says I'm tired but I want to write something. Carol
1: was reading to me from a spiral bound notebook
2: written on a page in purple ink.
1: This was from 1991. Carol was 31 years old. In this diary, Carol wrote about Judge Morrison by name and described, quote, very strong memories of the actual incident with Truman. And she described, quote, his anger at me for not waking up. She wrote in explicit terms about the assault on the Virginia property that she said occurred when she was 16.
2: His disgusting cum-soaked underwear... Gruesome.
1: At the time, Carol had just begun regular therapy sessions. She said her therapist encouraged her to start writing
2: about the abuse. F him. You asshole. Okay, fuck him. Asshole. In all capitals, asshole. I would never do that to a little kid. It would kill me. Then me acting like the adult and trying to stop it. And him saying how mature I was, like he wasn't. And she wrote about how Truman had continued to touch her without her consent. How he continued to disregard my wishes and paw me every chance he got. Disgusting. And me not knowing how to say fuck off. My self-esteem, my sense of value so non-existent that I continued to go through the humiliation of those gropings.
1: Carol said there was another incident that I absolutely needed to know about. She said it happened in the mid-1980s. She was living in the D.C. area and dating a woman named Julie Carol was 25 and doing administrative work at the Chronicle of Higher Education.
2: And I was so unhappy in D.C. And I would just cry because I wasn't feeling fulfilled and didn't feel like this was what I wanted to do with my life. Truman and his second wife also
1: lived in D.C. They had just had their first child. My
2: mom kept saying, they've had a baby, y'all should go see him, you need to go see him.
1: At the time, the Griffin family was still close with Truman. Carol
2: hadn't told her parents yet about the assault. Of course, I hadn't told anybody about any of this stuff, so it was really hard for me to keep my distance.
1: Carol said she agreed to go over and meet the Morrison's new baby boy. The way she remembers it, it was kind of like a babysitting gig. And she said she took someone
2: with her, her girlfriend Julie. I told Julie, look, you need to know something. I, um had this experience this man is you know groping me every time I'm around him I had this bad experience and I'm not sure how much I told her at the time but I told her it was a problem and so in order to go over and babysit for him I told Julie about it and I said just you know kind of help me through this and also you know stay close so we ended up going to the um to babysit, and so we ended up taking care of the baby. So when they came home, um, we were going to leave, and they said, no, stay for a minute, you know, sit down. They, they made us sit-down in the living room. Carol's other accounts involved situations where
1: there weren't other witnesses. People had been asleep on the Morrison family farm, and at the wedding, she was alone with Truman. But what she was telling me now involved an actual witness. Hello? Hi, is this Julia?
3: Yeah,
1: hi. Hi, Julia. It's Amy. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? This is Julia Tripp, or Julie, as Carol has always called her. Julia is a 59-year-old cognitive scientist who lives in San Diego. When I called her, she said she definitely remembered this incident.
3: I would just remember being in her living room. I can't remember who started out reclining on the floor, but there may have been, like, pillows down there, and somebody was reclining on the floor.
1: Julia remembered sitting on a couch and Carol remembered lying on the
2: floor. She said she had Truman's baby in her arms. I was up on one elbow, kind of holding the baby and patting the baby, and I believe the baby was asleep or something. So what I remember is that Truman got up for some reason. I don't even know if I noticed it, but I assume he went to go get a drink or go to the bathroom or something, and then he came back and he lay down right behind me.
3: I remember her kind of moving away
2: and everybody continued to talk
3: and i don't even remember if she got up at that point but there was just something really weird about this adult newly married new dad need to say older guy laying down on the floor next to this like uh, you know 22 year old or 21 i don't even know and it was just like a train wreck in my mind and i was sort of frozen i didn't even have words
2: And Julie was right there to my right, and he was behind me, and his hand could go up between my legs without them seeing, in the room, and he just held his hand between my legs, like, you know, on my butt, but from behind. I mean, up in my crack, Mm -hmm. basically, is what I'm saying. But, um, so again, I froze. I didn't. I mean, it was just so crazy, and Julie was right there, so. I just um didn't say anything and it stopped after a you know, minute and then I was like, Okay, you know, I I don't remember anything else except us just getting out of there. But I don't remember much after that happened. But I believe Julie and I talked about it
3: afterwards. My recollection is and I don't know how much of this was verbalized really clearly. But like me saying something like, what the hell? And her saying, yeah, you know, right? And and not like, yeah, what a surprise. But yeah, isn't that incredible that a man would do that? He would do that. And I think it was pretty devastating.
1: Julia recounted something that happened over 30 years ago. But the way that she told me about it, it was clear that it stuck with her. At the time, Judge Morrison was in his 40s. Carol and Julia were in their 20s and Carol and Julia both told me that Judge Morrison had groped Carol's buttocks that night they said he did it on the floor of his living room in plain view we're asking everyone this just as part of the corroboration of this type of reporting have you ever known Carol to be anything but truthful in your interactions with her
3: no No, absolutely not. And, um, I have to say, especially about something that she would like so much for this not to be true. I think that's all I can say to emphasize how there's no way in hell she would make this up. She would like... So much for none of this to be true and always took the weight of it you know the responsibility for her father you know for being his this person that he not only saw as his best friend but who he really admired and looked up to and I don't I don't think she ever understood as a young woman how Well, we're just kind of learning how differently men and women see all of those dynamics. And and I do think it was the times. I think women didn't talk about those things. I think we didn't even let ourselves think a lot of things. And so on someone else's um, behalf, I don't know that we would just come up with that on our own, that that was going on. It's yeah. He had so much power. I mean, people just just admired him so much.
0: In the next chapter of Canary, every time a person is unnecessarily held in a jail cell until their trial, that's an immense human tragedy.